0: Welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non-profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Dr. Aida Brankovic, a 2022 game changer for her work at the cutting edge of biomedical innovation. Aida was recognized in the new global talent category which showcases the impact of recent migrants to Australia. Aida's journey from Bosnia and Herzegovina to Australia is fascinating, as is her dedication to her field in the early detection of strokes. This interview was conducted by Cathy Campbell, the producer of the Global Australian Awards.
1: So, um, and we start at the very beginning, just really in simple terms, how would you describe what you do?
2: In very plain language. I develop um, novel data-driven algorithms in the framework of machine learning and artificial intelligence and most of these things are applied to healthcare. Some of these algorithms that I have been developing in the recent past are envisaged to be part of the novel emerging uh, technologies device in, in this particular case for the scanning the brain and localizing and detecting the stroke. While other things and algorithms that I've been developing are intended for uh, to be like intelligence within the um, novel decision support tools in the clinical environments. So everything that I do is basically intended to help clinicians to make decisions faster and these decisions to be better eventually. What would result, I guess, with a better patient outcomes. And yeah, this is in very short (laughs) terms.
1: Oh, wow. Incredible. We've got a couple of other finalists that, you know, their roles are around algorithms, but very different area of expertise. Um, one of them works for Google and is, you know, looking for, as they put it, breaches of policy, but essentially making sure people are behaving themselves while they're using Google. But your algorithms are an entirely different area. It's, uh, wow. Um, did you always see that this, this type of work as your goal?
2: Yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense that when I was a child, when you would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say, I want to be scientist. But I was imagining myself being astrophysicist or being uh, uh, astronomer. Uh, today I am scientist, but not really in this astronomy-related fields, though you never know what life will bring you. However, what concerns decision to become scientist in this field that I'm currently in, I think um, somehow Okay, decision to start with my PhD started when I got my first engineering job after the graduation. Soon I realized, okay, routine job is not job for me. I need something that drives me every day and that motivates me every day and that gives me freedom, research freedom. So that was the first step to reach this point where I am now, but sometimes in the middle of my PhD I got interested uh, in the problem of microarrays, that is array of genes, which is uh, selection of the relevant features, relevant genes and relating them to specific cancer or disease. What is computationally super interesting and challenging problem. So from that point, I started talking to my supervisor and convincing him, can we go in this direction? So eventually, I would say that that was pivotal point where I decided that I want to go in the direction of doing something related to biomed. And from that point on, I mean, I've been mostly working on things that are envisaged to be part of something that is related to health. Because I think the science in general should be in service to public, service to others, should improve our lives, uh, should make our life easier. And I think helping somebody um, whose health is not good in any sense, uh, I think it is like a mission.
1: How inspiring. You You mentioned earlier on in terms of describing what you do so for people you know who are coming at this this topic it's it's healthcare and it's medicine and it's science but it's so specialized and you spoke about stroke is this identifying a stroke um can you tell us a little bit more about that
2: sure sure uh, well, uh, today we have two conventional modalities for stroke sort of detection, identification, localization uh, that are MRI devices, which are very huge and super, super expensive, and we also have t- CT scans that are less costly but still expensive, also ionizing. So these are the disadvantages of these devices, especially when we think about the usage in the remote areas, rural areas, where you have super small hospitals, which are also not um, rich enough probably to afford this kind of devices. So uh, when we talk about the diagnostic devices for the stroke, it collapses to big cities. So one of the idea which started at the UQ Imagine team around 10 years ago, I guess, uh, as a part of um, research for two PhD students at a time, was to see if the microwave technology can be used as alternative, as a complementary technology in addition to these two conventional. What would be the advantage of this technology? First of all, it wouldn't be ionizing. It would be significantly cheaper. It would be portable. And after all these things, you would be able to afford this device every little place to have it. So rural area would be covered, remote area would be covered. So you would be able to save much more lives. And when we talk about stroke, the key thing in saving life lives is quick reaction quick identification of the stroke because that brings with it appropriate treatment
1: that's incredible and it how is this technology progressing how is your research can you tell us how you were working towards that goal is it achievable is it um, being built is it being used
2: um, Actually, I came to Australia um, with this project. I mean, there was postdoc and I got this position. This is how I ended up being in Australia. So since, since then, what is around almost four years back, uh, I've been working on this super exciting, challenging project, beautiful project and I'm very pleased because I joined the project I think in the moment when it was the most interesting because soon after I arrived we um, we started our clinical trials. So I had practically very short time to give my bit of contribution and develop my thing so, entering hospital testing uh, algorithms from all guys in the team uh, was super exciting thing, and the first phase of the clinical trials went beyond our expectations. So the results were very promising. There, we, uh, I mean, the company which we, with which we collaborated for this project, our industry partner also developed first prototype. Currently working on the. Um, Other versions of this device may be more practical, more portable, easier to to, to carry. But the basic concept is there and it was successfully tested in a clinical environment. Of course, uh, still some things remain from the research point of view to be improved. Some uh, shortcomings of the current devices and algorithms that we found out during this first clinical phase were also still to be improved but I think we are on the right track and in a relatively short future we could expect to have some device of this kind on the market.
1: That's incredible and the difference it would make to people who have had a stroke as you said you know the timely response um, that's the key to outcomes that are, are much better for patients who are have experienced a
2: stroke. Seven. Quick identification and treatment of the stroke are key factors for saving somebody's life.
1: I'm getting a sense of your personal motivation. Day to day when you get up, what drives you to continue to be involved in this research and the development of this, this
0: prototype?
2: Probably... The fact that I'm working on something that is going to be used, especially used by the people who need it the most, and uh, thought for a moment that this what I'm doing, what I'm developing, what will what will be eventually part of the device or tool, could actually save somebody's life. So this. Uh, gives me, I mean, this gives me energy even when I'm tired um, to keep on moving and really go beyond my limits sometimes.
1: Yes. In terms of your work, I imagine that there's highlights and there's challenges in your role. Can you tell us a bit more about the challenges and the highlights and Maybe, maybe a couple of examples that you can share with us?
2: I guess... Uh, when you are in research in general, uh, challenges and highlights come hand in hand. (laughs) You cannot like uh, separate them. Uh, Definitely in research, especially when you are doing breaking science research projects, there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of risk. That brings also a lot of stress. Uh, This even goes worse uh, when the project is a part of some bigger initiative where also external partners like industry partners are involved, where you have very, very, very sharp deadlines. So it additionally brings a lot of pressure on researchers. And as I said, for breaking science, There is no guaranteed outcome. Also, when you face some challenge, some problem, there is no book, no paper. You cannot Google the answer. It is up to you and people around you, your teammates, to find a solution, to understand the phenomena, to overcome whatever issue it is and continue. But at the same time, as I said, it comes in hand with the highlights. Once you solve these kind of problems or when you achieve some amazing outcome or when something you've got that is for the first time in the world, um, there are no words to express that. It's a very, very rewarding feeling that that can be just felt that you cannot put in words, I guess.
1: That's it. It's naturally rewarding. It's just the actual outcome of the work that you've been aiming for. Which doesn't always happen, I'm
2: sure. Yeah, I mean, as a researcher, I think 90% you are desperate, 10% you are celebrating. Um, <laughs> that, is the, that is the reality, I mean, that is the game. But I will never forget what was the feeling when I generated first images with my machine learning algorithms for the stroke localization. And I compared it against the ground truth and I saw that actually it worked. And that was actually first machine learning algorithm based, uh, the first, uh, first algorithm based on machine learning in this technology that could actually localise the target. So I think it is worth of being in darkness 90% of time for even 1% of these uh, moments.
1: What a fantastic moment, Aida. That is such a special moment that you've just described. Incredible work that you're doing. I know that this is a new category, the Global Talent um, within the awards. What does it mean to you to have been selected as a finalist in this in this category?
2: Well, when I received email, I was so shocked. I was over- overwhelmed. Uh, it's really honor, honor in sense that to be selected among huge number of super talented individuals resident here in Australia who are already recognized around the world is like a simply amazing feeling. And at the same time for me it is responsibility in the sense that uh, all, I, all what I have been doing or trying with my career was not solely just running after the awards or recognition uh every recognition or award i see as a responsibility it opens the door for something new something bigger but i feel it as a responsibility to do something bigger for everyone for the community it is not just me aida but rather opportunity to have bigger impact on getting this word at least from my side a little bit better
1: yes I I've heard this and it's such a a common theme in what I'm seeing of the finalists that the idea that you're working on something that's bigger than yourself a greater goal Yeah. yeah amazing I wanted to ask you and it's our last question around what sort of advice you might give to someone either in late high school or maybe through uni or early on in their career, whether they're in research or they're actually working in a role, what would you say to them? What advice would you give?
2: First of all, I would uh, tell that person that he or she can achieve whatever he or she believe he or she can do. In the moment you start thinking or believing that you cannot do something, definitely you're not gonna do that. Second thing is to do what you really love, what you really believe in, and to be brave and allegiance to that, because this will be main forces that will drive you when you face obstacles on that way, and there will be a lot of obstacles on that way, and looking solely for recognition and award will not be enough motivation to continue. And uh, i don't know i have feeling that nowadays generation wants something instantly i guess this is due to social media i guess and this is probably a message i would tell them advice big things and valuable things come slowly so you have to be patient for them and the, the last piece of advice this was more generic but for any kind of field but for somebody who would like to pursue a career similar to mine i would say that really ex- exciting time has started in sense of there is beautiful bloom boom of technology which opened huge empty room for new discoveries new- opened also new challenges. And I think many more challenges and exciting things are just to emerge after we start digging what is happening in this empty room that we have just opened. So I believe, and I'm very excited, excited of what future is going to bring to us, especially in this field that the symbiosis of uh, engineering and biomed sciences. And may I Something which I didn't plan, but maybe it is writing, I mean, to say. um, A lot of kids feel disadvantaged due to, I don't know, socio-economical reasons, uh, discrimination in different sense. Um, I will just say a very short story about myself, not to brag myself, but rather I hope this could be maybe motivation for somebody similar to me. When I was a child, uh, due to war, I was refugee with my mother and brother in Croatia. Due to my nationality, which is, I'm Bosnian originally. Due to my nationality, I was not allowed to go to school, which was in my neighborhood. So I had to travel every day in one direction around two hours to the bigger city where there was Bosnian school. Uh, I was discriminated among the kids, also kids didn't want to play with me because the parents poisoned their brains, saying she's Bosnian, don't play with her. It was really a um, tough time at that time, however uh, these things I believe shaped me to be stronger, to be warrior, never to give up, but at the same time my mother was growing me with the mentality to respect everybody even when somebody is humiliating you to see that as a weakness of that person not to see that as something bad in that person so i want to advise all kids whenever they face bullying or discrimination or whatever don't lose trust in yourself you are strong enough to go further and this Bad feeling at the moment. One day will be your blessing. Just be persistent uh, and have high moral and ethic values, which you will be striving for.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that very personal part of your story. It's so relevant. It's heartbreaking. Uh, But your mum, what a wise woman! Essentially, to be saying, have a growth mindset be understanding regardless of what the other person is saying or doing take the high road incredible and do you have much contact with your mom do you get to see her how's the pandemic been is she in australia
2: no i'm not i'm here just with my husband um she's back home with my father and brother and just two weeks back I returned from the trip I went to visit them after almost three years I guess since this pandemic has started I haven't seen them so it was really moving moment to see them all together and spend some time with them. Wow
1: how incredible and you know I think you said you'd been in Australia four years so such a long time three years (laughs) to, to have been without had you know hold them.
2: Well, I believe uh, those people who we love are always with us. So sometimes we need physical hug, but even knowing that they would be happy and proud of you for what you are doing is, I think, enough motivation to move forward. My mom is super proud of me. I mean, I mean Uh, I think she sometimes feels that I'm compensating what she maybe didn't have any opportunity to do. So sometimes I'm recognised while I'm achieving these things that I'm actually achieving also her dream. Thank you for listening to
0: this episode. For more on global Australian game changes over the last decade, please go to our website, advance.org.